0: So
1: Niles taking you on another mystical musical journey inside the minds and the manuscripts of the arrangers. And tonight I feel compelled by an inner glow to tell you I see the light. Actually it's the light music we're going to hear from a very heavy cat. The man generally regarded as the greatest living composer and arranger of light music, Robert Farnon. is in a place where there aren't too many other people. Well, I'm putting him into the Ellington class. So as I say that it's not a very crowded room.
0: All the most famous ones, and all the biggest ones, for instance, are Don Costa, Marion Evans, that mentor, that main man is Robert Farnon.
2: I've never heard anyone say anything ill of him and the prettiness you hear in his music is not just his music but it's the way he looks at things i think anyone that admires or loves great music has to love bob final certainly i know all of the arrangers and writers all look at him as the alpha omega of creative writing He's a very compassionate man, very gentle man, he's sensitive, he's perceptive, emotional, very intelligent. I would call him the reason behind my most inspired moments.
1: Say what you mean guys, praise indeed from Henry Mancini, Tony Bennett, Nelson Riddle, Oscar Peterson and Quincy Jones. It's not surprising, then, that Canadian-born Robert Farnan has enjoyed a long and successful career in the music industry, where many an arranger, including your own Uncle Richard, can often find frustration and obscurity. But still in his teens, Bob Farnan became a household name on Canadian radio, and then took over as leader of the Percy Faith Orchestra. There, he came to the attention of self-styled King of Jazz, Paul Whiteman, and Andre Kostalanitz. Nice guys for an arranger to be hanging out with.
2: I learned an awful lot about orchestration simply by playing in an orchestra. Because I played not only for Percy, but before that with the CBC Concert Orchestra, and I used to play in theatre. And I listened, and uh, I learned, you know, whatever, the capabilities of every instrument. If I didn't know any uh, question, I would ask if I, if I didn't understand anything. And I think that's the way I learned orchestration, not by teaching. I did study a counterpoint with a, um, as a matter of fact, with Percy Face teacher. He was the librarian at the Royal Symphony Orchestra, and he saw how we both needed a little help. But that's as far as I got this counterpoint, and from then on, I just played it by ear. I was forever listening to inner parts in the orchestra. And I found a good inner part to either play or listen to was quite as interesting as playing the the lead. That's how I think I learned an awful lot about it, just by listening to what the inner lines of the orchestra were playing.
1: It's all very well listening to what other people did, but what Robert Farnon was able to do was to take these sounds and make them his own. So what about the Farnon sound? Is it definable? I asked writer and arranger Roger Kellaway, and first, author of Arranging the Score, Gene
3: Lees. I came across a western recently, a movie, and another very good one called Shalico with Sean Connery, and I came in in the middle of it on television, and I hadn't heard four bars of music, and I said, that's Bob. And um, his brother, who's also a musician, Brian, was driving from Las Vegas, and he flipped on a car radio and said, that's my brother. It's a sound that when I hear, I, I say, yeah, that's Bob Farnan.
4: We call him the governor. That's our tribute to him, because he is, he's the chief, as far as we're concerned. One of the things that's so amazing about Bob is that whatever instrument he chooses to portray the melody always seems to be the correct one, in whatever the given circumstances are, and the way he accompanies that instrument is always perfect. The orchestration is just amazing. Very even, up and down, the whole sound spectrum. It's just really glorious. His, the sense of craft is wonderful. His sense of heart is wonderful. Thank mm-hmm. you.
3: of a number of elements, the style of it. you hear elements of Delius. you hear certainly elements of Rovel? BBC, you see, I once asked Bob, are you a big um, admirer of um, Sibelius? He said, yes, because I can hear woodwind things he does that remind me of Sibelius. So there's this tremendous knowledge behind it of all the literature of, of the musical world. ¶¶
4: The sound spectrum is made up of unlimited combinations of colors. Once you've heard a particular arranger or composer's way of putting those colors together enough times, you're able to identify generally who that person is. So that's about as close as I can get to describing Bob's sound. You know, some of us have listened to him long enough to know how he puts some of his colors together. In fact, he—I heard uh, Johnny Mandel was saying. I think a couple of years ago that Bob was threatening to change his sound completely because everybody else is stealing his sound.
3: Andre Previn called him the world's greatest string writer. He does things with woodwinds that are very distinctive. I don't know anybody else who does quite like that. There's a phenomenon in writing called what in England they call part writing, in which we we call it voice leading in America. It's the movement of the chords. It's the movement of the lines inside the chord from one to the next. And in really good writing, they make melodies of their own inside, not just the top melody. And Bob's voice leading, or part writing, Bob's voice leading is exquisite and very much admired by other musicians.
5: 20, 30 hours, Monday night. Time
4: for one of your three main AEF orchestras.
5: The Canadian band of the AEF presents... The Canada Show! Yes, it's music for Canadians. For the men and women of Canada serving overseas and for the Allied forces everywhere. Music of distinction styled by the Canadian Band of the AEF under the direction of Captain Bob Farnham. Songs of the Day by Privates Joan Dallas and Paul Carpenter. And the Canada Show Chorus with Private Jerry Travers. In the guest spotlight, Vincent Tilsley's Master Singers. Streamlined entertainment for frontline listening, so take 30 and take it easy, will you? And that, in the words of the opening number, is an order from the Army. <laughs>
1: During the war, Farnan led the Canadian Band of the Allied Expeditionary Forces, working alongside Glenn Miller, who led the U.S. Band, and British leader George Melancrino. These were formative years for the young Robert Farnan. Musicians conscripted into the forces could forget commercial considerations and focus more on the creative side. Farnan had a ball with this artistic freedom, and he immersed himself in both the American and British traditions he was being exposed to. Oddly enough, it was the British scene that intrigued Farnan the most, and music lovers on these cold grey islands are grateful that when given his discharge, Farnan chose to settle not in his native Toronto, but in London. Farnan's first British gig was with the Geraldo organization, but his real break came when he was signed to DECA as their in-house conductor and arranger. It was there he worked with artists like Vera Lynn, Paul Carpenter, Ann Shelton, Norman Wisdom, and Gracie Fields. You will
0: find perfect peace of mind when you find the blueberry.
2: certainly learned a lot about singers and how different each one is. I was taught a lot by someone like Gracie Fields, for instance, that simplicity, the importance of simplicity, I learned that through her. The less, the better, and that, that she taught me that.
0: When you find the ball-
1: When Farnan got to work with some great singers, he really wanted to focus on his own instrumental music. Towards the end of 1948, Decca gave him the breathing space to release the classic 78, Jumping Beam. With this amusing little hit, Farnan gave light music a new long lease of life, with interest.
4: We have this penchant for putting things into categories. Is it because it isn't so serious in the way he puts it together that uh, we have to call it light music or... I don't know.
2: Well, now, a lot of those tunes came from the war years when I was writing for the Canadian Army Orchestra. I used to be able to experiment with them till the, the cows came home because they were all under my command. Uh-huh. I used to um, write a lot of little pieces, humorous pieces, for the Army Orchestra... And out of that lot came some of the themes which I used later and developed into full-length light music compositions.
1: The symphonettes established Farnon as a big name on the British scene, and from the late 1940s onwards, his career was grooving most bodaciously. Apart from his obvious creative talent, I asked Joseph Lanza, author of Elevator Music, if there was maybe another element to his success.
6: He was among the few of the major names in mood music that contributed a significant amount of tunes to production music libraries. He had done an enormous amount of work for the Chapel Library, and uh, he was noted for just being able to evoke a romantic association with the great outdoors or maybe some kind of a of a lush setting in a penthouse and he, he could convey plots, characters, feelings, situations with just a few musical phrases and often very pithy titles, like he had he would have one called A Portrait of a Flirt. And when you hear it, at least when I hear it, I have a a cinematic association with some pretty woman driving in a sports car with the wind (laughs) blowing in her hair, and as she's passing by, she's just winking to anybody who catches her eye. That's the Mm. perfect song that you would get for a very wistful drama, a woman's picture with this emotional deluge, and slides into this lighter mode with the violins and the soft horns and the woodwinds. He could give you these very sweet, undisturbing melodies, with effervescent strings. He, like many of the mood music people, were able to whip air into the music, and I think that's what gives it its appeal.
1: As well as his countless television credits, Farnan realized his dreams by getting into movies, and he didn't have to sleep with anyone apart from his own wife.
2: Just shortly, at the end of the war, one of the first things that I wanted to do was write for films. Because in Canada, as you may know, there was no film industry there to speak of. But when I got to England, um, I wanted to get into films as badly as anything. And I met this lovely woman who was the casting director and um, she uh, manager of the film company called Herbert Wilcox and Anna Neagle, who produced a lot of big films. And she eventually got me in to do their first musical after the war. And from then on it just snowballed, and I did several pictures with that company and then moved on to Warner Brothers and, and other companies. And uh, I was with films for about, two, oh, 25, 30 years, I think. I think the most enjoyable film to work on was a uh, sea swashbuckler called Captain Horatio Hornblower. That was the most delightful one to do. There was about two and a half hours of music in it that there was plenty of ammunition there.
3: There's a suite derived from it, that is one of the most magnificent things I've heard. He's remarkably skillful at capturing moods. There's a section in there called the wind, and it's um, when the ships have been be be calmed and a wind stirs, and the way he captured that feeling is just astounding.
1: As an arranger myself, I get tired just thinking about the sheer volume of work that Farnan has produced. And we arrangers rarely get a chance to talk to others in our profession, so I asked Bob about his routine. Does he start at the piano?
2: No, I don't write at the piano. I find it wastes too much time. Uh, I work at a desk, and I I use the piano occasionally for reference, as I think most writers do. But I prefer to write at a desk, and I prefer to write in the morning, starting fairly early in the morning and then up until about lunchtime and then that's it and the rest of the afternoon do something else walk the dog or (coughs) practice the trumpet or something I would use a sketch if I was doing an orchestra work of course but not for vocal accompaniments or things of that kind usually just go on and if if I start an arrangement and if the first thought Uh, wasn't coming off, then I'd get up and go out and have a rest. I wouldn't labor at it until I got what I wanted. I'd just get away from it for a while, come back and feel refreshed, and then what, what I wanted would happen almost immediately then.
3: There's a piece he told me he wrote it, after the horror of the war, a French-Canadian folk song, claire Fontaine, it's actually French, I think, originally, claire Fontaine, and it's the sweetest, gentlest piece of music, and there's a French-Canadian composer of mine who said, he took, I forget how many bars, 16 bars or whatever the thing is in length, and he said he turned it into a little symphony. It's gorgeous. I was with a bunch of French-Canadian guys, all musicians, at a, at a French-Canadian music camp one summer, and that Claire Fontaine is terribly well-known in Canada, and one of the guys composer, put the CD on, and there must have been about 10 guys at that table, and tears were streaming down their faces.
1: That shows you what a phenomenally talented guy like Robert Farnan can do with a simple tune. I had to ask Bob what it was like working with the incredible vocal group Singers Unlimited, a dream gig for any arranger.
0: You must remember this, a kiss is still a kiss, the sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes.
2: It was unbelievable, really, and what happened was Gene Perling of the Hylos, we firstly did an album with Singers Unlimited called um, Sentimental Journey, and uh, he sent me the routines of each song, then I recorded the accompaniments, then they went off to their studio in Germany and recorded the vocals. It would, we didn't work together. We worked separately, sometimes a month or two months apart. But that was just working with them. I, I, we did one live one together in that we were in Germany in the same studio that they used. All they didn't record the vocals because it was multi-track recording. You know, He had as many as 16 to 20 different voices. So he had to do that separately and not with the uh, orchestra. There's something unique at the time, the first time it ever happened, you know, to hear four voices sounding like the Vienna Boys' Choir.
0: It's still the same old story, a fight for love and glory, a case of two or two.
1: The next time you hear someone praise one of the current so-called vocal groups, ask them if they've heard Singers Unlimited. Over the last quarter century, Farnan has not only remained at the forefront of the British light music scene, but continued working with singers like Tony Bennett and Lena Horne, and jazz musicians like George Shearing, Oscar Peterson, and his great buddy Dizzy Gillespie. Always recognized by his peers, he's won numerous Ivor Novello Awards, including Outstanding Services to British Music. And he's been granted the Order of Canada. I guess that means free maple syrup for life. But the real sweet part came in 1995, when he was awarded a Grammy for his arrangement of this tune, Lament, one of the tracks on jazz trombonist J.J. Johnson's album, Tangents.
2: It was it was a great surprise and honestly it was so unexpected I thought of anything he would get the Grammy for the album itself but, and uh, he but he, it was he who called me up and said you know what's happened <laughs> and it made my day my week my month when he told me that this one arrangement had uh, done the trick it just happened to be one of the tunes on the album and it seemed to appeal to the judges they liked it and uh, selected, although just between you and me, I think an old friend of mine, Quincy Jones, has something to do with it. He said, well now, fawn and now he's nearly a hundred is about time. If we gave him a Grammy, I think it might have happened that way. He just sent me the tunes along with some others that he wanted me to do, and some that I already knew, like Malaguena. But that was a new tune to me, and I just sat down, he said, go ahead and do what you feel like. He said, "Don't write too much trombone," and he said, and "Write it for the orchestra." So I did, and it turned out more an orchestral arrangement than a, an, an arrangement for soloed instrument and orchestra.
1: Ah, a Grammy Award! Now, if you've been listening to these shows and hearing all the brilliant work people like Robert Farnon do don't you think it's rather a shame that there's no British award given to arrangers? Farnan's career has been long and varied, and I asked him if it might be possible to pick out a highlight. Bob didn't have to think too long. The year was 1962, and the name was Frank Sinatra.
5: We'll gather lilacs in the spring again. together down an English lane until our hearts have learned to sing again when you come home once more
2: was a recording studio of course and that's his favorite uh, method of, of working but the studio was full of his fans they were sitting everywhere they were sitting all around my podium under the piano on the piano and he just loved to have that crowd in there with him that crowd to him was his audience yeah, i'd never experienced this before working with an artist who had, you know, a fan club in the studio, but they were more than fans. They were very famous people who came, and some of them were fighting at the door to get in. And it was an absolutely wonderful experience, but the greatest experience of all was working with that master of song. He was just something else.
5: And in the evening
1: By the fire lights glow at 83 years old, Robert Farnan and his music has touched a lot of hearts and uplifted a lot of souls. Of course, there's still plenty of composing left in our Bob who simply can't imagine life without music.
2: I do know what it's like if I'm not working. You know, I'm completely miserable. I hardly talk to the dog, let alone my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Even in my dreams, you know, when I've dreamed, they're always, they always concern music, nothing mm. else. Not even a beautiful blonde. It's
1: always music. The last time I looked, I was Richard Niles. I hope your dreams tonight will be filled with the romantic music of Robert Farnan. And next week, we'll be hearing about the life of a man whose dreams are about as romantic as a hot tamale. The California trumpet player who made Tijuana famous for more than just the indigestion, the lonely bull himself, Herb Alpert. My own romantic thanks this week to that all round nice guy, the amorous Robert Farnon, to ardent writers Gene Lees and Joseph Lanza, and to that passionate musician Roger Kellaway. And special chocolate-covered thanks to my devoted producer, Elizabeth Clark.
5: Your eyes will tell me all I want.